This morning's passage is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's on page 992 in the Pew Bible. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this hour of worship. We thank you for the privilege we have to come and worship you. We thank you for all uh, uh, your children that are here today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth and it is trustworthy. Lord, there are many opinions and many views in the world today, but we thank you that your wisdom is far more precious than gold, silver, rubies, and gems. We also thank you for uh, the pastor that you have provided to us. We thank you for Cody. We thank you for his diligence in studying the word and his desire to be faithful to it. Lord, we ask that you would remind us daily to pray for him as he has responsibility and charge over our souls unto you. We pray for him. We pray for uh, his marriage. We pray for Lucy. We pray that uh, you would protect both of them, for we know they are targets of Satan and his evil desires. We also thank you for Lucy, for... uh, her uh, dedication to being a helpmeet for Cody and allowing him and helping him as he pastors us and shepherds us. We pray for his children, that they would grow up in the nurture, in the spirit of the Lord, that they would be mighty upon the land when they are older. Again, Lord, we do thank you that this church is not built upon a man, but on the one foundation of Jesus Christ. Again, we praise you and honor you and ask your presence in this hour today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, it's a joy to be able to open the Word of God with you. We find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you've not been with us uh, for the first two chapters of this book, we'll recap here in just a moment to bring us up to speed. But we find ourselves at really a, a turning point in the book, where Paul uh, begins to address to Timothy the roles and the the organizational structure of the Bride of Christ, of the church. Earlier, uh, late end of last year, on our weekly men's Bible study, during a, that time of lunch with one another, the question was brought up about who was your first pastor. Now, the question wasn't uh, brought up in a way of saying, who was the first guy that you remember preaching? Uh, who was... Well, the question wasn't asked, who was the first person that you remember leading the church when you were growing up or whenever you first began to go to church? 
The question was in line with who was the first person who shepherded your soul? And I found it interesting that the replies were varied. But there was a, a central theme that ran through every one of the, uh, of the answers. And that was, it really was less about the, the gifts, the abilities, the personality even, of the man who was the pastor of the church. It was the fact that he loved them enough to shepherd their soul, to care for them. To, to even question them, to lead them, to confront them, to encourage them. In a word, to care for them. And here we have in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lining out for us who these men are to be. We're going to take two weeks to look at this uh, passage, these seven verses here. We're going to look at this morning the work of the elder and then next week we'll take a look at who is or what is the man. What what does he look like? What are his attributes for the work of the elder? We're a blessed body here at Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship that the Lord has seen fit to give us a foundation not only of the church being Jesus Christ but since its inception that we have had elders. We've had, we've followed uh, the biblical uh, structure of how churches are to be organized. And I believe we've been greatly blessed by that. We've been studying the book of First Timothy. And we came up with. Or I gave to you what I believe is a, is a theme statement for the entire book. And I want to remind us of that this morning. That if we took all of the teaching of First Timothy. All six chapters. And we condensed it. We boiled it down into one sentence. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit is by the inspiration of the word seeking to communicate to us. It is this. Biblical sound doctrine. Springing from a pure faith. Will be confirmed in the church through sound living sound teaching, and submission to appropriate relationship roles designed to guard the purity of sound doctrine. Let me say that again. Biblical sound doctrine, springing from a pure faith, will be confirmed in the church through sound living. We've already looked a little bit at that. Sound teaching. We've already seen that in a bit. And finally here, we're seeing today, submission to appropriate relationship roles designed to guard the purity of of sound doctrine. We find ourselves in 1 Timothy 3 looking at these appropriate relationship roles. Now by way of review, just turn in your Bible. If you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy 3 to your left, one page, you'll find yourself in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let's just remind ourselves of the scene that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is at this church, this apparently fairly young, fledgling church in Ephesus. We find that in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So here he's in, this young Ephesian church, and he's to remain there to set things in order. If you turn your Bible back over to chapter 3, you'll look at verse 14 and 15. Paul tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that one, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Apparently, this young church was immature enough that there was there was a fair amount of chaos. Uh, There was false teaching that had come in. We see that in chapter one. Timothy's refuting those false teachers. 
They were perverting the sound teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even the way things were structured and ordered, it was not done so in an orderly manner. And so, in a sense, Paul here is telling Timothy, this is the way the church should behave. If I'm not able to get to you soon, this is the way the church should be able to function. Or we could say that having overseers in the church is a sign of good order. Having overseers in the church is a sign of good health, of good structure, of good behavior within the local church. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, bring into order the local church. And we notice Paul starts this phrase by saying, the saying is trustworthy. This is something you can go to the bank on. This is a faithful word from God for the church. Do this. Scripture tells us clearly that it is the good work for men to imitate Christ in caring for the sheep. That it is a good work for men to imitate Christ in caring for the sheep. Well, we're just looking at verse 1 this morning. And we're going to ask that particular verse, three different questions. And if you're taking notes, this may be helpful to you. We're going to look at what is an overseer? Why do we have overseers? And finally, how do they do the work? Point number one, what is an overseer? Well, first of all, let's just be clear that the Bible uses interchangeable words for the same office. So here in verse one, you see the office of overseer. Well, In Titus, we hear of elders. And in other places, we hear of shepherds. And some translations uh, translate overseer as bishop. And others, in Ephesians, we have the term pastor. Well, these are all speaking of the same office. Therefore, uh, I'm not only your pastor, I'm also the elder of the church. And, And when we have other elders, they're not just elders of the church, they're also your pastors. And I think oftentimes when we think of pastor, we think, well, that's the one that's paid. And then those who serve as lay, those are the elders. No, those are also pastors. Not maybe, maybe it's fine to use a different word, a different vernacular for them. But they're the one, they're one in the same. They're doing the same work. These words all mean the same thing. Elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop, and the like. And the various words, uh, though may be at first a little bit confusing, they're helpful. Because they really do describe the the multifaceted dimensions of how pastors, how elders, how overseers relate to the church. They rule. They rule well. They're to oversee the church. They're to shepherd the church. There's a, a word picture for us. Shepherd and sheep. They pasture. They pasture the pasture, if you will. Now, historically in the Bible, there were three offices of the church. And only two are in function today. There was the apostle, there was the elder, and there was the deacon. Now we only have two left today. We have just elders and deacons. But if we look in scripture, specifically if we had time, we could look through the book of Acts. And we would recognize that apostles were men appointed by God. They had seen Christ and God used them to teach the doctrines of the Bible that we see clearly before us today. And then the apostles appointed elders. In each local church to apply the doctrines of God's word to a specific body of local believers to which they were carrying. And that New Testament work has just continued on. 
as the church is raised up and another church is raised up from that church, they plant out or they a missionary goes out and plants a church in some indigenous people group, they raise up elders. And we also have deacons. And we'll talk about that in coming weeks. In Acts chapter 14, Paul, who is one of the apostles, is seen doing the work of appointing elders. Acts 14, 23. This is the early church. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Well, here at FCF, we also... Uh, would regard the teaching of the Bible as it concerns a multiplicity of elders or a multiplicity of pastors. Now there's uh, no directives in the Bible that uh, seems to indicate that if since currently right now we only have one elder, one pastor, that we are in sin, it just seems to indicate that it's not as healthy as it could be. Meaning, when by God in his grace brings us or raises up in, in our midst other elders and pastors, we're going to immediately be that much more healthy. Why? Well, there's 45 plus members. I can't pasture, pastor the pasture very well when there's 45 sheep as well as there could be if there's two or three other people that could help care for the sheep. We automatically become that much more healthy. But why do we have in Scripture this model of multiplicity? Why does Scripture tell us and seems so clear that there should be multiple pastors. Well, it's never stated in scripture why. It's just modeled and even commanded. For instance, we could go all the way back to Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 18, we have Moses who is caring for way more than 45. Uh, as much as maybe a million people. And I'm not sure about Moses, but I could imagine that he was probably a bit stressed. Just a bit. And, and as those people were coming to him and asking him questions and asking for him to care for them and resolve conflicts, etc., it was becoming too much. And God brings to Moses, his father-in-law Jethro, who says, basically, hey, listen, let's, let's bring other people alongside to help you. Well, we, that, that model of many leaders caring for God's people is carried on into the New Testament. We could look all through the book of Acts. Uh, Philemon, Titus, Peter, James, many of these places just automatically states elders. It uses it in the plural. We believe in a plurality of pastors. Well, what are some benefits of that? Well, one is, as I've already stated, is it spreads the load. So as, by God's grace, this flock grows, we will then need more shepherds. So that no one goes uncared for. It's one thing for a pastor or a shepherd to look over the sheep. I can't see every angle. But if it's surrounded by other shepherds, no one goes uncared for. Another benefit of having a multiplicity of leaders is is that it restrains abusive authority. When you have one man in power... That's not how we should even see as an, an elder to be, which we'll see here in a few minutes. But having a multiplicity restrains abusive authority. Another benefit, another fruit is that if you have a, a group of men leading a church and they're submitting to one another in leadership, it's modeling submission to the church. The church is, to, you all are submit to one another and you submit to the elders. And when we're submitting to one another as elders, it models that for the church. Another benefit is it that provides a diversity of gifts as to be reflected in the body. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us 
that there are many giftings of the church. And when that's represented by a multiplicity of elders, a multiplicity of pastors, it's, it's good for the sheep. Well, why do we have overseers? Point number two. Why do we have overseers? Why do we have elders? Why do we have shepherds? Why did he go that route? What's the point? Couldn't we have had presidents over the church? Parents? Why, why this route? Well, before we ask or answer the question why, we have to answer, we have to understand because. The child that comes to his parents and says, why are we doing this? And the parent responds, because, right? That's the answer. Well, the answer from God is because, because God has given the church these men. We're told this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave, God gave the, the, the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Elders are a gift to the church. From Almighty God. They, they are to, uh, they are a blessing to the church. They, they are, they are there to build us up. Uh, they are, they are there not as a tyrannical dictators to keep you from doing whatever you want to do, but rather to help all of us grow together to imitating Christ, getting Him more glory, and therefore for our good. Elders are a gift to the church. God has given them to us. But then why? Why do we have them? Well, I think the analogy of shepherd and sheep answers that question of why. It goes a long way back in scripture. We can think of Psalm 23, the the shepherd king. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But even, even before that, God's people are shepherded. God's people are well cared for. We can think of Moses and Jethro, as we've already mentioned. We can think of Samuel, caring, judging for God's people. Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 23. Let's just look there quickly. Psalm 23. Probably know this by heart, or at least the the children do. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, uh, automatically, this this psalm is is not about David. This is is psalm uh, declaring, prophesying, anticipating David's son. Who would also be a shepherd like David. The Lord. Jesus Christ. The one who would who would come. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the Bible not only starts at Psalm 23 and is even modeled before that in foretelling Christ. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet, prophesies of the coming shepherd. Verse, chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, God himself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep 
And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on a rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, God himself, will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. Turn with me to John chapter 10. And as you do, and, and you just heard the words of Ezekiel, you can imagine then, these, the, the hearers, the, the original audience of this declaration of Christ in John 10, maybe and probably even ringing through their mind the prophecy of one that they know, the prophecy of the words of Ezekiel. And then this is what they hear coming from the lips of the man in front of them. John chapter 10, Christ speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another man, another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, up to this point, they're thinking, yes, we know that vernacular. We remember our father, David. We remember that prophet, Ezekiel. But then notice what Christ begins to say, verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am Jesus Christ here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And the story doesn't end there. Christ then does lay down his life for the sheep on the cross. And and he lays it down willingly and he takes it up again. He rises from the dead on the third day, giving hope for all those that trust in him. And he brings back the vernacular of sheep and shepherd. Because post-resurrection, we then find Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, having breakfast with Peter. And what did he tell him? John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, 
Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Christ asking Peter, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't say, great, good job, way to go. No, he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why do we have overseers? Why do we have pastors, elders, shepherds in the Bible? Why? Because Jesus Christ loves his sheep and wants them well cared for. That is the only reason why we have under shepherds under the chief shepherd. It's because he loves us so much that he wants us well cared for. We are a deeply cared for bride. So if we know nothing else this morning about the doctrine of the church, or we know nothing else this morning about how to apply this passage, we must recognize that as sheep in the flock of God, chosen and precious, we are well cared for and loved everlastingly by the chief shepherd, the Father God, who sent his Son, God sending God, to lay down his life for you, for that flock. You're that flock that he laid down his life for. And yes... You were stubborn and you were rebellious and you were dirty and you were stinky and you, all that. And yet, even though died to the wool, as we might say, by the stain of sin, Christ loved us. Father loved us and sent God the Son as the shepherd of the sheep to lay down his life for us. Oh, what a joy it is then. To recognize that when we do have elders and when we have pastors and when you go and maybe even are visiting today and you recognize that there are elder, there's an elder in this church, there's a pastor of this church. We're we're doing so. We're, We're delighted in that because that is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves his sheep and wants them cared for. So then we can understand that the organizational structure The way the church is organized with elders and members and deacons and so on enables the clarity of the message of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're organized by God's command in order that the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ might be trumpeted and heralded and proclaimed with passion and hope. The structure of leadership allows not only for the caring of the sheep, but also the restriction of chaos. And that's what's going on in Ephesians, in the Ephesus church. Is there's chaos. And it's, it's muddying, it's clouding the clarity of the truth of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, set things in order. In order that the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news, the wonderful truth of the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep might be declared. In 1868... A gentleman by the name of Henry Baker wrote a hymn. And you may not have heard it, but the title of it is, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Let me quote. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, whose goodness faileth never. 
I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow, with food celestial feedeth. Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark veil I fear no ill, with thee, dear Lord, beside me. Thy rod and staff my comfort still, thy cross before to guide me. Thou spreadest a table in my sight, thine unction grace bestoweth. And oh, what transport of delight from thy pure chalice floweth. And so through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever. Do you know that shepherd? Is he yours? Can you walk from this place today and know with certainty that you are shepherded by the chief shepherd, by the good and loving shepherd? Is he yours? Or do you not know? Do you doubt? Today can be the day of salvation. Will you, will you repent of your ways of trying to, to, to walk? Your ways of trying to work your way through this life. Will you repent? And will you come under the authority of the chief shepherd? Oh, this is not a, a bad thing. This is life. To have the chief shepherd love you. He's laid down his life for you. Will you recognize that love? And will you repent of your sin? Will you put your faith and trust in him? And then you can know with certainty. John tells us we can know with certainty. Will you put your faith and trust in him? Point number three, how are they to do the work? How are elders to do the work? And then a bit of application in closing for you all. First of all, let us notice this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, that it is a work. Uh, This isn't isn't a a name badge. Uh, This isn't a plaque on the wall. Uh, this isn't something on this on the desk that gives you a title. No, this is a work. And even Paul says he desires a noble task. Or the KJV says this is a good work. Or I love the NASB. It says it's a fine work he desires to do. The shepherding of the sheep. So men, in the spirit of, of, of Ephesians 2, we're told that God in his saving grace brought you from darkness, brought you from the bondage of sin into the light of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when he did that, by his grace, he appointed you good works to do for his glory. And so the question might be, for some of you at some time during your Christian life, that very well may be the good work of shepherding, shepherding the local church. So how could you know this morning if that is a good work for you to do here at FCF, this church? Well, first of all, do you desire to do it? Notice that's what he says in, in, in Timothy 3 there, that he desires a good work. So you should want to do the work. It, it shouldn't be done under compulsion, Peter tells us. This should be a desire that you would have. So do you desire to do the work? The Greek word here has the meaning of, of craving or longing. In, in the negative, it's lust. Meaning it, it's, it's, a, it's a real strong desire to, to shepherd the flock of God. Do you have that desire? First Peter 5, 1-4. through 4. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So men, do some of you desire the work of elder here at FCF? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to know how that work happens or that you may even be ready for that work or all the work that it might entail, but do you desire that work? And let me encourage you, that is a really good desire. Really good desire. And so, buy me coffee. Buy me lunch. Buy me breakfast. Come talk to me. Let, let, let's figure out how we can either bring you in or help prepare you for that day. And maybe that day isn't at FCF. Maybe in six months you move. And we can just help equip you for even serving that body. Notice it's a work. It's not a, it's not a power play. It's a good work. The aspiration for the work of overseer or work of elder is a desire for a, a good work. Not only will you desire the work or want to do it, but you will find yourself gravitating to the work. So it's been said that a good elder candidate is a man doing the work of an elder. And here again, the shepherd metaphor is not only biblical, but appropriate. A shepherd is a man with his sheep. A shepherd isn't someone uh, who isn't with his sheep. That It doesn't work that way. So uh, 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 an elder candidate is one who's probably going to smell like the sheep, who's going to know the sheep, who's going to be caring for the sheep actively even already. And then we simply look at him and say, you're a shepherd. You're doing that work. And how do we then do the work? How do shepherds do the work? Well, uh, a shepherd in the field is equipped with tools. Uh, You've got a rod, you have a staff. Psalm 23 gives us some indication of these things. But the tool for the work of the shepherd of the church is the infallible word of God. This is the only tool that I have been given and this is the only tool that I need because it's perfect and it's from the word of God. It is the word of God. It's from the mouth of God. And so thus it's it's a multifaceted tool. It's the Swiss army knife of the church. It, it, it is something that encourages and yet at the same time can rebuke. It, it's a tool that helps to teach. It's the tool that corrects. It's the tool that strengthens. It's the tool that heals. You open it up and you have all the tools that you need there to do that work. And Paul doesn't even, in in Timothy 3 here, give us a a job description. He gives us the qualifications, but he doesn't give us the job description. And yet if we go all throughout the rest of the Bible, it becomes clear. The shepherd of the church protects and feeds and cares for the sheep with the truth of God's word. That's how he does it. He protects, feeds, and cares for the sheep with the truth of God's word. In a sense, Matthew 28, 18, he makes disciples. And he models that for the church. Finally, in closing, what's application for you as the flock? How should you relate to pastors and elders? Well, in closing, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And we will conclude our time of study there. Hebrews 13 gives us some some helpful reminders for the church. Hebrews 13. Look with me at verse 17 and then we'll close. Hebrews 13, 17 and 18. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, in our rebellion society... Everybody hates submission and everybody hates obedience. We're hardwired by our sin nature to not like this. And yet notice what Paul is saying here, if, if he's actually the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is saying, it's to your advantage. It's good for you to obey and submit 
to your leaders as unto the Lord. So point one of how you relate is you obey and submit. Number two, though, in verse 18, you pray. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Uh, Will Becker's prayer, right before I, uh, I stood up here to preach, was an immense encouragement to me. Many of you, I know, pray for me because you tell me that you do. And that's a wonderful encouragement to me and my family. It is, in many ways, the fuel by which I run on. It is, it is the, it is the gift of the church. It is the, it is the gift to the elder of a praying church. Galatians 6, 6 tells us, let the one who has taught the word, meaning you, share all good things with the one who teaches, meaning me. And prayer and communication of your prayer to me as your pastor is a very good thing. It's an application of, uh, of Galatians 6, 6. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful blessing. So are you, are you praying? And not just praying for me, but are you also praying for other uh, pastors that you know? That's one of the reasons why in our time of corporate prayer, I oftentimes pray for the pastor of South Church or Faith Baptist or Hill Country. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the, the prince of preachers, so to speak, on one of his visits to America, was asked by an American minister who said, I have long wished to see you, Mr. Spurgeon, and to put one or two simple questions to you. In our country, there are many opinions as to the secret of your great influence. Would you be good enough to give me your own point of view? This is The story of this is told by Ian Murray in his book, The Forgotten Spurgeon, and this is Spurgeon's reply after a moment's pause. My people pray for me. That was in Spurgeon's mind, the, the fuel by which God used to grow his immense ministry of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And notice, this uh, obedience and submission in prayer, is there is grace and strength provided for you to do that work. Look in your Bible still in, in Hebrews 13, look at verse 20. And this is a doxology and this is an appropriate verse to close on. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. He will equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The scripture teaches us clearly, brothers and sisters, this morning, that it is a good work for men to imitate Christ in caring for the sheep. And we're so grateful that we have the perfect shepherd who has cared for us and laid down his life for us. Let's pray. Father, it's with gratitude that we come before you, thanking you for the truth of your word. I pray that it might, by the power of your Spirit, rest appropriately upon each heart here and be applied according to your word. Father, I thank you for the men that you have over the course of my short life bless me with who have pastored me well. Men who have loved me enough to care for my soul and question my actions and my motivations. Who love me enough to encourage me and pray for me and disciple me. 
And I pray, Father, that you would help me to just continue to build upon uh, the foundation of these men that you have laid in my life and that you would help me to be a more uh, faithful and loving and caring pastor for this flock. That each week you would help me to feed them more clearly with the word of truth. That you would give me wisdom to know how to encourage them. That you would give me a sensitivity to their needs. That you would give me eyes to see hurts. That you would help me in showing love to them. I thank you, Father, for this flock and the way that they have cared for me and my family. The way that they share many good things with us. And Father, we trust and pray that as we continue to strive together to be a faithful bride, a faithful local church, that you would gain much glory and that we will do the work of advancing your gospel and being a part of building the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. And thank you, Father, for the the team that you have brought here, that you have organized and structured, the body, the family. Father, as we uh, close our service now in song and we join uh, around the table together in a meal that you would strengthen our flock and our body as we minister to one another. Oh, Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that has even ministered to us this morning and reminding us of the king of love our shepherd is. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.